And welcome to it. It is uh, just after 1 o'clock on your Saturday afternoon. Good to go. Tamara Gopian is here, of course, uh, courtesy uh, Sam Fury, Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. We're doing the disability law thing. There's always questions and answers and opportunity for this entire hour for you to uh, make that phone call. If you have any questions, you can... Uh, you can voice them right here. Be part of the show. How do you do it? 416-872-1010. If your preference is a simple text, you can send that along as well. That is simply 71010, and we'll get to as many as we can. Got a bunch of email to get to um, right off the top, actually, tomorrow. But what's uh, going on in your world? Sometimes we start a little bit of a week that was. What do you say? What a week. What a week. This mm-hmm. week, I have been contemplating age, Sean. So age because I have a girlfriend who's just turned 40 and I had a claimant um, who I've been retained for and she's in her 30s. And one of the questions she asked me was, look, how is my age going to factor into this? So I thought I would start off our show talking a little bit about how age impacts sometimes disability litigation. Um, So look, I think the main thing I want people to, to remember is that these disability policies typically have periods of payment that go all the way until you turn 65 years old. Mm -hmm. If you look at the benefit summary at the beginning of your policy or a coverage summary from your employer, it will say on there what you are covered for or for how long. There are a few I've seen, John, where they're capped. Maybe it's a five-year cap and that sort of thing. But generally speaking, they're meant to provide benefits until you turn 65 years old. But this is always a risk analysis with disability insurers, right? So like any other insurance product, they're going to look at, you know, mortality rates and premiums and certain groups of individuals working in certain industries. And, you know, largely the way that they make money on these policies is they will collect a premium on the basis that the employee base usually that they're covering for is unlikely to have a vast majority of them claim disability let alone to have them on claim until they turn 65 years old. And we see this playing out time and time again. And I generally find that when claimants are relatively early in their careers or relatively young, so I'm talking about people who are in their 20s and 30s, and when they are asserting long-term disability, not so much short-term, but when it comes to the long-term claims, John, I have no doubt in my mind that the adjusters are very aware of the fact that if someone is on claim with them for a prolonged period, typically usually beyond that two-year own occupation, that it's going to be real tough to get them on claim. And then there are many, many years that are payable under these policies. Look, I can't prove it per se, but certainly when we get involved in these legal claims, if someone's been cut off or denied improperly, you know, we get involved, we start a legal claim, and generally speaking, we're talking to insurance companies about a buyout of the policy for a period of time. And age is a huge factor in those discussions about what the buyout should look like, how many years should be payable on that buyout. And of course, I remind the insurers time and again, hey, if my client's in their 30s and 40s, and if they cannot recover to the point where they can function to be able to work, even partially, even on a commensurate wage, which is, you know, usually the level for any occupation, so two thirds, roughly, give or take of what they're actually making. Well, then this has a potentially very long period of time that's payable. And that's going to make some sense for our clients to then think about, okay, what's the right compromise from the disability insurance perspective? So 
I think that age factor is huge as an element to encourage, I think, adjusters to deny or cut off claims and just simply not approve them for a long period of time when you're looking at someone relatively young. And because there's a lot of optimism with people in that age category that, look, they are relatively young. So hopefully with the right treatment efforts in place, you know, this individual should be able to get back to work. No one's going to write them off. No doctor is going to write them off for the next 20 years. But what I was, gonna, I was just going to if I could just interrupt, what, what if you what if you turn the tables and this scenario where this this person or maybe you guys or maybe not, maybe on their own, they approach the insurer saying, why don't we talk a buyout? Does that raise some red flags? It can. It really yeah. can. And so I discourage people generally from doing that on their own while they're still getting their LTD benefits, because most adjusters are really looking at, you know, the current claim. What are the current health issues? Am I releasing that LTD benefit next month? And then maybe the month after that. Um, yes, they will look at the overall claim. Yes, the age is a factor there to my my initial point about that. But it is a month-to-month LTD benefit. And so think of a scenario where you're being approved. You're generally getting updates or providing updates to the adjuster every month or two. And then all of a sudden you say to them, you know what, I'm kind of sick of all this. What do you guys think about a buyout? Yeah. Well, the adjuster's going to say, well, hang on. <laughs> Why? Why now? Are you feeling better? Are you not sharing something with us? You know, they're, they're very cynical, John. They're, and they're going to look at this and they're going to look at this and think, why is this individual coming to us totally. from a bio perspective, right? So I'd much prefer to see people cooperate with the adjuster, cooperate with that process as challenging as it can be, and then see where it heads. Because if it does lead to the point of an improper denial, if your doctors are still saying, look, you really can't work, the doctors aren't necessarily going to look at your age, but they're going to look at your profile and your health issues and all the things that they're supposed to look at. And if their opinion is, hey, not yet, maybe not at all, and then if the insurance company turns around and, and cuts you off at that point, then absolutely there's a conversation to be had. But that is what we do. That is what we do best, in fact, is to try and have those conversations with the insurance company mm-hmm. in a more reasonable way where we're looking at all of the factors, including age. But what I wanted to add to that, when you said flipping it around, John, I thought you were yeah. going to get to what I was about to say, which is, what if we're talking about something, somebody who's in the tail end of their work life? What if they're in their 50s or even 60s and they're being met with these barriers with the disability insurer? You know, naturally people will think, well, certainly they can't expect me to retrain for another job tomorrow at 62 and do something else. Well, guess what, folks? Sometimes they do. And if insurance companies can save the last two or three, four, five years off the policy from where you're at right now to age 65, you can darn bet sure that they will do that. And they have done that. So I also have a vast majority of clients who are in their late 50s and 60s. And the fight there really is, John, about what is reasonable given the health, given the progression of the health, right? So age isn't going to help you there as you sort of get on. You know, what's the likelihood of you fully recovering or partially recovering? And then to think about, you know, is it sustainable even if you can take a bunch of pain meds, I suppose, and get back to a physical job? Is that really even sustainable? Uh, I think in a situation like that, 
insurers are still going to do what they're going to do. But I, I think the claim in some ways becomes easier to resolve with the insurance company because it just defies all logic when you think about it. We know the person's work history. We know the health issues. And we know that the insurance company is motivated not to pay you until you're 65. So I think that we're when we're knocking on that door with the insurer and we're doing the things that we do and leveraging all the things that we do against the insurer, I think in some ways, um, the age is sometimes easier because we're not right. looking as much into the future and trying to crystal ball this thing for claimants and clients. But the conclusion is whether young or old, and I'm not judging about that word. I don't like that word either. So in any phase of your age and stage of your disability policy, the bottom line is, is that if it's not clear from a health perspective, from your own treatment providers, whether you have a capacity to work, then in my view, regardless of where you're at in your claim, regardless of what your entitlements are, I think that people are owed LTD benefits and I would hate to see them be deterred if the insurance company is saying to them, eh, you're too young, you should be able to work, right? That yeah. is not a proper basis to deny disability benefits, even though I'm certain that they are very mindful of the age when they make these kinds of decisions. Well, I think Fred's definitely tuning in uh, this afternoon. He says, guys, I'm currently 60 years old. I'm on LTD. I have one year left before change of definition. I was an employee for six years before tearing my rotator cuff. Now my insurance would like to pay me to get me off my claim. They're suggesting paying me out one half the value of the remaining five years to age 65. Is there a rule of thumb for insurance payouts or are they all specific and individual? Also, did the government change the retirement age from 65 to 67? Thank you. Thanks, Fred. Yes, mm -hmm. you're definitely listening. So yeah. let's start with the easy part of your question. Has the government changed the retirement age? Nope. The government has not changed the retirement age, but I'm not sure what he means by that, John. Does he mean in terms of benefits? There are benefits that individuals can access from the federal government for CPP, and you can get your CPP from a retirement CPP at age 60 or age 65. Right. If you take it at age 60, it's going to be reduced. But more importantly for Fred's situation is he actually probably has an entitlement to CPP disability benefits. And that's a benefit that's available to individuals at any point before they turn 65. And it's for those who have a severe and prolonged disability. So the fact that he's got a year left before the insurance company is making that decision doesn't mean that he should be deterred from actually making that CPP disability application. I'd actually like to see him make that application because I generally think the good outweighs the bad there. Yeah. Yes, the insurance company will take a credit from whatever government benefit you're getting, Fred. But overall, having your doctor endorse that there's a low likelihood or an unlikelihood for you to return to work in any setting at all is actually really helpful leverage against the insurance company. But the heart of the question, John, is about this buyout. These buyouts, look, and, and I said it earlier, you know, it doesn't sound like Fred approached the insurer. Now the insurer is approaching Fred. Right. And I don't like the idea that there's money being left on the table. If half the value of the remaining five years is being offered, you know, we really want to get into the details with Fred around what does his health look like? What is that trajectory? And is that half something that makes sense? Gotcha. I'm going to make a couple more comments about this after our break, John. But you generally bet. speaking, I don't like what Fred is being proposed by the insurance company because it would mean him giving up all of his disability rights to age 65. So Fred, stand by. We're going to get to more of your question. By the way, if you're talking about retirement age, as far as employment's concerned, there is no more retirement age. So you don't have to worry about that. But yeah. we'll return. And uh, your questions right now, 416-872-1010. We'll get to the phones in a moment. William, stand by. And text is 71010. And we'll continue with the Disability Law Show. Stand by. 
good time to chime in, be part of the show, and uh, get uh, Tamar to answer your questions. 416-872-1010. The number text is 71010 if you prefer that. We'll get back to our emails and questions shortly here, but uh, the phone's always top priority. William, thank you so much for standing by. Big guy, how are you? Not too bad, John. Not too bad. Um, Beauty. So it's a bit of a crossover show, uh, you know, uh, and, and, may, and with your experience, Doing both shows, you might be better to answer this, even though you're not a lawyer. <laughs> so, what do you got? With, with severance, when you get when you're dealing with severance, they take into account all of the factors: the the cell phone, the company car, your bonuses, mm-hmm. your this, your that, your everything else. Does that apply with LTD? Because Great in question. some cases, you're not you're not you're not able to work but sometimes those benefits weren't just work benefits they were part of your benefits package that's yeah. my first question and then my second question is how does it work between when you get into a slap fight between LTD benefits and WSIB because of the origin of the injuries and then the poor person the employee is stuck in the middle going what's going on so, love right. these questions. William, love these questions. And so just for, for what it's worth, I actually do a bit of hybrid as well. I do some employment and disability. So I love these questions. Uh, let's start with the first part about how does it work with these other kinds of benefits or uh, payments, I suppose, from your employer and with LTD. So generally speaking, most LTD policies are only going to cover you for your base salary. That sometimes even excludes commissions. So we've got lots of people who do sales jobs who are like, wait a minute, but my base is really low. I get lots of money with commissions. I get my cell phone paid. So my overall salary, quote unquote, or my take home amount every month is much higher. Why is it that I'm only getting a fraction? So these details actually really matter and they're usually defined in your policy. But it's if it's a group policy, William, it's set between your employer and the disability insurer. So my question is always, you should ask your employer, why am I underinsured for short term or long term? If I have this kind of extra compensation as part of my full comp, it should be fully covered. Now, that's not to say that that doesn't happen. I have seen policies where commissions are taken into consideration, housing allowances, car allowances, uh, but you want to make sure that that's you. And the starting point is to ask HR, ask your employer, hey, what am I covered for for LTD? Uh, And do I have the option of getting greater coverage? So really simple answer for that one. The other one, the question about WSIB and what you described as the slap fight, I love that. Um, So look, from an LTD perspective, it doesn't matter, William, if you got hurt at work, got hurt in your backyard, if you were hurt and you cannot work and your doctor's saying you shouldn't be working, you should be getting long-term, short-term and long-term. The thing is, though, WSIB is a credit against what you get from LTD in most disability policies. So again, there's a section in the policy that says this is what we'll pay. But if you get sources of income outside of this, so like workers' compensation benefits or WorkSafe, this exists in all the provinces we practice in, then we get a credit for that. And workers' compensation benefits usually are at a greater percentage, at least on the income amount, than it is in for LTD. So I always talk about this on the show is, look, don't give LTD a pass just because your your injury or your disability claim started at work. Yeah. You're still going to make that LTD claim. Let them say, yeah, we would have approved you, but we're not paying you while you're still getting workers' comp. Because what happens if workers' comp either doesn't pay or stops paying? Then that's where LTD should keep paying if you continue to meet the test of disability. 
Have I answered your questions? <laughs> yeah, you have, because, I mean, that's the thing about WSIB. WSIB, like every other insurance company, will be like, okay, we're going to cover you, we're going to cover you, okay. Yeah, you uh, you now have a permanent disability or a partial disability. Right. And they cut you, they cut you a check and then cut you loose. And that that can that can change things. So yeah, there's a lot of math that gets involved, and that's why uh, you yes. guys get get paid the big bucks, <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. I mean, yes, there's a lot of math involved, but I think you know, William, what I'll take advantage of in saying to our listeners on this topic is, do not give up on any of those rights. So if you've been injured at work and you know that you are entitled to compensation because your own treatment providers are saying you cannot work, you should be pursuing every benefit that you are entitled to. LTD, workers' compensation, short-term disability, and if it's really bad, also CPP disability. So my vote is always pursue all of those pieces of compensation, and if you're having trouble with any one of those claims, then you know really don't hesitate to reach out to us. Workers' comp, we don't take care of ourselves, but we do refer people out to a great paralegal, uh, but all the other elements of the claim we can help in terms of disability brilliant thank you so much William. appreciate the call brother enjoy the uh enjoy the rest of your weekend and i'm, I'm sure you know it by now because you're obviously a hardcore but just in case you want to reach out to tomorrow later and her team 1-855-821-5900 help at disabilityrights.ca all right i want to bounce back over to uh fred's email because you didn't get quite through it six-year employee uh, rotator coffee's off on claim uh suggesting this payout for the remainder of his five years half the value to age 65 and he had the retirement question of course too between 65 up to 67 i'm I'm assuming he means for disability. What uh, what do you think about that? Right. So I I wanted to just close the loop on Fred's email because mm-hmm. I really don't like the idea of insurance companies broaching this with individuals so early on in the disability claim. Right. So we talk about this. Usually, it's the first two years where the insurance company looks at are you totally disabled from your own occupation? So he's obviously been approved. He's got a rotator cuff issue, uh, but he's only one year into that uh, own occupation, that first period of the disability policy. So there's still a whole year where the insurance company most likely has to continue to pay. So I don't like the timing of the insurance company saying already, hey, by the way, can we buy you out for the rest? So if it's if I'm doing my math right, they're offering him two and a half years on five years, but one year of that probably is pretty well guaranteed, probably should be paid. And so when you look critically, is it worth giving up the three and a half years or two and a half years for the one and a half years that's being offered? And that really comes down to a question of the medical information. And it's absolutely okay for Fred to say, thanks, but no thanks, insurance company. It's either too soon medically for me and my doctors to make this assessment, or I'm not really sure what's going to happen to me in six months or a year, and really put the pressure back on the insurance company to do what they are required to do contractually, which is if you are totally disabled pursuant to that policy, and it doesn't look like you're going to be able to work in any setting, Fred, then they're trying to buy you off, and I don't like the buy-off. I'd much prefer to see a scenario where there's continuing payments. And, you know, maybe if they do decide to cut you off at the two year mark, then you've got some options to pursue by way of legal claim. And then if they don't cut you off, then guess what? You're already a little bit further ahead because you haven't given up your rights to the full policy. And that is the biggest catch to these buyouts, John, is that they they send people this big amount. It looks like a really big amount. You're like, okay, and I get the insurance company out of my hair, but you got to go in two or three pages for you to see the release and the information they put in there that says, the moment you accept this, 
You don't have any more rights under this policy. We're going to let your employer know that you've taken this buyout of the policy. There's no guarantees on your employment. And, you know, if you go back on back to work and you need more LTD, you're done with LTD under this policy and this plan. So you want to make these choices really, really carefully. Uh, and I generally would prefer to be involved with helping people with these kinds of choices, as opposed to allowing Fred to just deal with the adjuster himself directly and not knowing what he's signing or what rights he might be giving up and having it be so soon into that initial first year of his disability claim. Yeah, that big shiny number doesn't sound like it's going to be that big and shiny. Plus, it's, there seems more uh, it seems more negative than positive. The risks don't seem to outweigh the reward. Generally, basically, the way you're making it sound, I would I would delicately go about dealing with this, right? Absolutely, and I think oh. it actually ties nicely even to some of the questions that William asked us, which is how does LTD work with other sources of income? So, right. for example, let's see, say it's a scenario with Fred where his employer decides to terminate him. Now, I wouldn't like that. I think there's some employment rights around that. But but if they were to do that and pay him something and he gets some kind of a severance, John, well, it could be that his disability policy takes credit for that amount. So there are a few factors that you've got to take into consideration when you're making these choices. And if that's a possibility, then maybe you think, okay, I'm going to get ahead of it. Or gotcha. if that's not a possibility and there's some protections around you being on, on claim with the insurance company, then ride it out. Better that and then prematurely taking a buyout early on and, and giving up rights that you may be entitled to. Short break, back into it. Some time for you to grab a phone, 416-872-1010, and we'll go to mydisabilityquestions.com for a question next right here on the Disability Law Show. Stand by. You betcha. We are back. It is one thirty-five. Thanks for hanging in with us here on the uh, on the show. You have a chance and an opportunity right now for the remainder of the hour to call in, talk to Tamar. She's got the expert advice and the answers. At least get you started with some uh, somewhat of an answer before you take it private. You can do that. Four one six eight seven two ten ten to phone the station right now. We got a, a fantastic producer on the other end grabbing the phone calls seven ten ten to send along a text, and then uh, to use your uh, your cell phone or your laptop or your tablet, whatever you can do. Two things: email help at disability disabilityrights.ca and the website which is free for you to use mydisabilityquestions.com that's where we're going now tomorrow as i mentioned got a, a question just from it now it says yeah. guys my husband has leukemia mm. has been off work and spending 66 days in hospital december 2019 to february 2020 he is on long-term disability through work and on CPP disability. The doctor just said he can go back to work, but only one hour a day. His work called and wants him to sign off as terminated due to frustration of contract. They say he will keep his LTD, but how can we trust the insurance company will keep paying him once he's no longer employed? He just turned 57 years old and has worked for the company for 29 years. Tamar, any advice? Thank you so much. This is such a great question because, again, it's this hybrid situation, right, right. John? Mm -hmm. This is why we're experts in the areas that we are because there's so much overlap between disability work and employment work, and it's for this exact reason. So the first thing I want to get out there is just because you're terminated does not mean your LTD benefits come to an end. As this description was provided by this person for about their husband, she tells us that he is on LTD. So if he has been approved for LTD and is on LTD, just because he is terminated or loses his job doesn't mean it gives LTD a pass to stop paying LTD benefits, okay? LTD, yes, it's usually group 
contracts. We talk about that a lot. It's a group disability policy that in, that ensures a number of employees under the same umbrella. That's most of the policies that we deal with and that, and that we talk about on our shows. But just because you're no longer employed doesn't mean you're not entitled to LTD. There's a whole bunch of things I could say related to that too, John, but I, I want to be more responsive to this inquiry, which is this. Yep. What happens then when the employer says, we don't think that you're capable of returning back to work, it has created a situation of what's called frustration of contract and we're terminating your employment. Now, this is a legal principle. In other words, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It has to exist based on medical information that is current and that allows either the employer or the employee to trigger it, to say this exists now based on this medical information. And it's not that straightforward, actually. We've got lots of claims that we deal with where we have challenged employers who have asserted frustration, um, or we help employees who are want to close out their employment on the basis of the fact that medically, they're not capable of working. And that's the key. So. I got to wonder what kind of information does the employer have that's current that's allowing them to terminate due to frustration. If they don't have current information and they're just taking the insurance company's word for it or you know what have you, we just assume that after some time now, it's been a couple of years, you've not been returning to work, we're just going to assert frustration. It could be that they have not done it correctly, John. And so when you've got a long service individual like this uh, woman's husband, when he's been working for the same company for 29 years, that's a long time. And the doctor has cleared a partial return, even if it's for one hour a day. It could be that this lends itself to a conversation that has to happen between him and the employer about accommodation. That process. There's a procedural duty. There's an administrative duty to accommodate. Now, is it reasonable? Is it unreasonable? I think that that's the part where it's a more medical question than a legal one. But before the employer runs off and says, your employment is frustrated, we do not think from a health perspective that you can reasonably return back to your job. There needs to be a lot more information available and really to think about whether this has been done correctly. Now, there is a little bit of good news, which is this. If it truly is a frustration of contract due to disability, in Ontario, if you are an Ontario employee and have been employed by the same employer for more than five years, then the Employment Standards Act actually protects you for certain minimum entitlements. Uh, in the case of someone who's been employed for 29 years, that's the maximum you're going to get. You know, if it's a large yeah. enough employer, right, you're going to get eight weeks of termination pay, and then you're going to get another 26 weeks of severance. So. I think that there are significant compensation there for a long service employee. But before you even get there, my mind went straight to, was there any conversation about the duty to accommodate? And if that duty has not been met, then this individual's severance entitlements could be much greater than just what the employer is asserting, which is frustration of contract. So some of this analysis, I defer to my, my employment law colleagues, and we have a whole show and a lot of information around that, but you can see how it touches on the disability aspect and in a very important way. The employer can't just simply trigger it without having proper information to do it. And even so, there is compensation that should flow from that. So if whoever sent us this wonderful question, if you're looking for a consultation, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. All our consultations are free. Happy to talk you through and let's explore some options here because you don't want to give your long, long-standing employer a pass just because your work capacity isn't necessarily at 100%.
you know, and, and to your point, and you know, you do the uh, you do the employment side as well, and of course, we have the employment law show tomorrow, one o'clock, right here as well. That that duty to accommodate, which you just mentioned, is an extremely high threshold. They just can't say, eh, you know what, we don't feel like it. Forget about it. We're not going to accommodate you. It's a lot more in depth than that, isn't it? It is, and it wow. requires a lot of dialogue, a lot yeah. of information sharing, and cooperation, and so. You know, I think that it could be that they've looked at his profile, John, and they've said, hey, you know what? We're going to get off cheap, right? A 29-year uh, mm-hmm. service individual at age 57, his entitlements for, for a full common law entitlements could be massive. And so, you know, are they being cheeky here? And that's why I was trying to suggest it without saying it. But let me just say it. Hey, if the employer can get off cheap, they're going to try, just like disability insurers, and you cannot give them a pass if they haven't done it properly. And frankly, if they haven't actually meaningfully engaged with you on that duty to accommodate. It's very case by case, though, John, it's not a one size fits all. But when someone has been off on disability, even the fact that they are triggering some kind of end of employment, if it's being targeted, if there's a human rights component here, uh, if they're using his disability as a basis to fast forward an end to his employment, that exposes the employer to a lot of significant claims. And you don't want to lose that opportunity to get proper advice, proper legal advice about your options, and to explore really if there's a basis for a fight back to the employer to say, hey, you're owing me a lot more compensation than this. Um, I'm challenging you on frustration or I'm challenging you on the duty to accommodate. Um, But being mindful, of course, that yes, there are no guarantees that LTD is to continue, but it should continue. So just because you are not job attached, that is not a good enough reason for LTD to stop paying. Let me ask this quick text, see if we can answer this one before we break. It says, as a result of an assessment, my car insurance will pay my income replacement benefits after five years of a motor vehicle accident. Does this payment reduce or maybe offset by my LTD insurer? Love these questions today, John. Really good questions. So this is one that um, is very specific because it is specifically income replacement benefits that an individual may be entitled to if they are involved in a motor vehicle accident claim. Mm -hmm. Again, this is another source of compensation. Goes back to what I was saying earlier. Get all the sources. Get them all. Okay. And then, yes, there could be an interaction between getting this income replacement benefit from an auto insurer that then your long-term disability insurer will get a deduction for. Now, it depends, though. This is not a straightforward analysis. It depends in the sense that usually the long-term disability insurer is the first payor. So they have to pay regardless, and then they get to take a credit for the income replacement benefit, not the other way around. But the policy has to be clear about that credit. And there's been some recent debate, some recent case law, John, that has gone, created some gray on whether or not the credit works and how does it work. So in a situation like this, I'm going to give you my lawyer off uh, answer. I hate to say it, but it does depend. Start by getting a copy of your disability policy, send it over to us. Let's put some eyes on it and we can give you an answer probably in about five or 10 minutes about whether or not. If you get this income replacement benefit, it's a credit or an offset against your LTD. Awesome. Good stuff. Short break, guys. We'll get back into it. In the meantime, that text number 71010, or if you'd like to call live into the station, talk to us. We'd love to have you here. 416-872-1010. And that email address that Tamar just mentioned, you can send your questions to help at disabilityrights.ca. In that regard, we're getting to Tegan after a short break right here on the Disability Law Show. Hang in there. Welcome back indeed. It is 10 minutes to 2 o'clock, so if you're going to slide in that phone call, 
Make it happen now, man. 416-872-1010 to get on air and ask your questions. You can also text like we just read before the break at 71010. Failing that, email is uh, 24-7, right? Help at disabilityrights.ca to reach Tamar Agopian and her amazing team at the firm. And uh, Sam Fira Tamar and the uh, most positively reviewed law firm in the country, if you can believe it, you can reach out to Tamar anytime, one 855 5,900. Okay, Tegan, thank you so much for the email. Says, uh, currently on LTD, but being sent to an occupational therapist to eventually set up a return-to-work plan, when I'm not ready for that, I'm wondering what my rights are. Classic. I want to say this is a classic, John. Can I say Mm -hmm. that? Absolutely. This is a very typical approach, right, by insurance companies. Very typical. If they can convince you to get back to work, they don't pay you. If they think you can get back to work, they're going to cut you off. They don't pay you. You see the goal here? <laughs> they want to get you off claim. And so what they do is they will conceive of this so-called rehabilitation program. Oh, we're going to help you with your treatments and you know, go and see this great therapist and we'll pay for it. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And they will put it into place, typically quite aggressive. And at the end of it, you know, the the goal really is is to demonstrate that you've got enough function to actually get back to work and start a return to work plan. And so do you have rights here, Tegan? You absolutely do. And the starting point of that is actually getting the engagement from your own treatment providers, your own doctor. Maybe you have your own occupational therapist. Maybe you have a physiotherapist. Maybe you have a psychiatrist. It doesn't really much matter. You want to make sure that whoever is in your treatment world is providing up-to-date information about whether this return-to-work plan is reasonable. We want to understand what it is exactly that they're going to offer you. Uh, What are you going to be asked to do? Is it physical? Is it mental health? Is it some combination of the two? And if it's reasonable and medically okay, then you want to engage in the process. That's the downside, is that the policy, the disability policy, will likely have a section in it that talks about these types of rehabilitation programs, rehabilitation treatment, and insurers, they're not dumb, right? Like they have their own lawyers who have created these documents and they have built in a way to close out claims. And this is one of them because the language usually will say, if we think you need this kind of treatment, or if Mm -hmm. we put a rehabilitation plan in place or a return to work plan in place, and you don't participate, Tegan, then we are allowed to cut you off. We are allowed to stop that disability benefit. So they will really dangle that carrot to say, hey, yeah, but you're not doing it. You're not cooperating. Our policy says you must, so you should. But it's got to be reasonable. And I think what worries me is when Tegan says, look, I'm not ready for it. And if you're not ready for it, it's not just your own hesitation. It's got to be medically supported that it's not the right time for this kind of a plan. And that could be one way to resist what the insurance company is trying to do, which is to fast track to the end of your uh, LTD program. The other thing I wanted to talk about with in the context of Tegan's email, John, is the idea of what if Tegan does participate in this return to work plan? Right. And at the end of it, either she or is worse off or is not capable of returning still, then you know, make sure you've got that information from your own doctors over to the insurance company. I have been told by a number of people and, and people call us all the time who say, yeah, but the insurance company's, you know, therapist was great. And they told me I wasn't ready and they were totally on my side. Yeah. How is it now that, right? I've been cut off. And I'm like, Hey, 
this is not arm's length. The insurance company is paying for this occupational therapist or whoever it is that you're seeing. And those reports, they're not going to your own doctor. They're not even going to you. They're going to go right back to that adjuster to say, yep, they're making progress and you know they're doing so great because that is how they continue to have the insurance company's business. This is all about numbers, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I generally find that you know, these insureds, people like Tegan get sort of lost in the shuffle with this and they feel very pressured by what's going on and not knowing, you know, what can I do here? And I really don't like that because there is a lot of buckling to that pressure and the feeling like, well, I guess I have to because I need my LTD benefits. Yeah, you sort of do. But what if it's harming your health? What if you don't make the right progress? If those two things are happening, then you are absolutely still entitled to LTD benefits. Just because the insurance company has relied on their own treatment provider to make a conclusion that you're not entitled doesn't mean that gives the insurance company a pass. They're going to try and convince you that it gives them a pass, but that's not necessarily the case. And courts have recognized that. They will prefer Tegan's treatment providers over anyone that's a hired gun from the insurance company, including these rehab people. Tegan, thank you so much. You can always reach out after the show if you have any more questions. Ari's up next to an email. says, guys, love the show. Listen all the time. And it sounds like mental health disabilities are not treated fairly by insurance companies. I was surprised I got approved for LTD after I wasn't able to work. I'm going through some trouble with my family, which is affecting my mental health. My wife left me, and now I'm dealing with custody issues over our kids. My doctor supports me to stay off work with the sadness and grief and anxiety. And I'm also seeing a therapist, but the insurance company is asking me to take antidepressants against my doctor's recommendations. Not sure what to do here. All right, follow your own doctor's advice. That's what I'm going to say. You got to follow your own doctor's advice. And and look, he's right, John. Mental health disabilities still, I find, even after the knowledge and information that we have out there that are absolutely, they're absolutely valid disability claims, just because you can't see something on a scan, um, that it doesn't have the same medical uh, testing, I suppose, that's you know that you would apply to, say, a broken arm, for example, doesn't mean it's not a valid disability claim. But because adjusters are somewhat box checkers, you know, it doesn't fit neatly in those boxes. The mental health claims can take, you know, different periods of time for resolution. There are different treatment measures, and not all of those treatment measures necessarily fit within every single claimant. So it's not sort of point A to B, okay, we're going to give you this medication, you're going to do treatment for eight weeks, and then you're back to work. And because of that, you get a higher number of resistant, resisted claims, a higher number of declines, I find, with mental health disabilities. And what makes it worse is you have situations that Ari describes. So really tough family circumstances. He's got his own doctor and a therapist helping him. They're not recommending he take medication. And the pill pushing is something that really fits within the insurance company's uh, you know, uh, MO, I would say. For them, they don't care about Ari's overall health. They're not really interested in that. They just want him back at work as soon as possible. And if they think that the medication is going to get to that point so they can stop paying LTD, that is what they're going to try and do. And I don't like the idea that Ari will go against his own doctor's medical advice, because I can assure you, Ari, that the courts will really think about, is this reasonable? So is it reasonable for you to follow your own doctor's medical advice? Yes, it is. Is it reasonable for you to follow your therapist's advice? Yes, it is. And I got to wonder, what's on the other side of that, John? How is it that this adjuster has made this conclusion that you must take antidepressants to be dealing with your mental health conditions? 
I don't think those two things line up. So when I look at this carefully, my advice is always follow your own medical treatment advice. If you do that, generally you're in a good position, even if the insurance company is trying to do all the things that they typically do, which is to pressure you to do treatment that's not reasonable or something that's contrary to your medical advice. And that is it for an hour. Nicely done, my friend. Ari, thank you for that final email. For everyone else, you can reach out now on your uh, own time. How do you do that? 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca is that email. And don't forget mydisabilityquestions.com. And there you go. We'll catch you next time right here on the Disability Law Show. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. 